Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, this week's show, we're talking about a really common upgrade that your house is going to need if you want to go solar or electrify your house. That's replacing your electric panel. That's one of the projects that I did as part of my whole house electrification work. Basically, I replaced all of my natural gas appliances with zero emission electricity, electric appliances. I haven't got them all done yet, but I'm working on it. But just the steps I had to go through, I had to do an energy analysis. I upgraded my insulation in my attic. I had to do the electrical upgrade, which we're going to talk about today. I'm putting in rooftop solar. I put in a variable speed pool pump. I'm planning on a heat pump to replace my gas-powered hot water heater. I have a heat pump air conditioning and fur- replacement for my furnace, which is great. And you know, I'm looking at putting in a, an induction cooktop as soon as my wife allows me to kind of do that. That's a little tricky. So these electrical upgrades are complicated. Every house is different. So we really need somebody that's experienced and an expert to kind of explain the real-world details of what goes on. It's, it's more complicated than you think. So it's my pleasure to have Sue Cately with me at the show today. She's an ordinary homeowner. Well, not really. She's an extraordinary homeowner. Sue was also previously the executive director of CalSEA, now known as the California Solar and Storage Association. And I had a pleasure of working with Sue for many years while she was involved with CalSEA. And subsequently, she worked with the state government as the chief of staff for Senator Bradford in California. So welcome to the show, Sue. Hey, thanks. It's nice to see you again, Barry. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, you know, I'm not in Sacramento as often as I used to be and, and you know, don't see all the meetings. But boy, you know, we're just, our paths crossed again when we start talking about this electrification thing. So let's just kind of jump right into it. Why did you have to change your electrical service at your house? Well, I was planning ahead for doing electrification at my home, and my motivation at the immediate time was I had just purchased an electric vehicle, and I wanted to add a separate circuit for the electric vehicle charger to install in my garage. My service panel was already full. The little circuit breakers couldn't fit another one in to make a separate circuit. So the only way to do the what I wanted to do was to put in a larger service panel, which is what triggers what's called an upgrade from 100 amp to the next size up, which is 200. So you had a 100 amp service kind of standard on most homes. And if you want to put in an EV charger, which is 40 amps, even if you have solar, it's a problem. Okay. Let's just kind of step me through the process. What did you have to do? So first of all, I'd had some electrical work done in my house a long time ago, and I have a very good local electrician. So I contacted him first, and I asked for an estimate on how much it would cost. He gave me that estimate, and I was happy with that. And then I went ahead and contacted my local utility, which in this case is Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E. And that started a process with PG&E with what their process for calculating the cost for a service upgrade. So there's two parts of a service upgrade. One is the utility side, and the other is your house side. And so my electrician gave me an estimate on the house side, and then PG&E gave me an estimate on the utility side of that little spinning electrical meter. So that was a key part of the beginning of the process. I also contacted my local building department and got a permit for the electric service upgrade, the electrical work that would be done in my house. So that's how the project began. And then how did it proceed? What did the utility say and what did your contractor say? And how did you get it done so affordably? So my contractor is, I think because he's done a lot of business with me, he felt confident that I would be kind of a no-hassle, straightforward customer. And the location of my service panel was also pretty straightforward, not a not a very difficult installation. So he quoted me about $3,000 for the service panel and the electric vehicle charger. And then I had to wait for the PG&E estimate of their costs. 
this was actually the bigger problem is that everyone at PG&E was wonderful to me. I have no complaints about the people, but there seemed to be like an internal obstacle in terms of just processing things. They also seemed to have an algorithm for a program of some kind to generate the contract and the costs. So had my electrician done this process with PG&E, I wouldn't have seen all of the, the numerous errors that were in the PG&E estimate when the first contract came in from PG&E. So just talking about the PG&E side of the meter, the first contract I got from PG&E was for $7,000 to do a 35-foot line extension from the street to my house. And that was underground. It's underground service. And my house had what's called direct burial, which is where the line from the street to my house is not in conduit. It's literally laid in the dirt 30 inches deep. Mm -hmm. And the current code requires that that be in conduit. So in order for me to move forward, I had to dig up the driveway and put in the conduit. Now, it just so happens I have pavers. So digging up the driveway was actually not a big problem because you just pick up the pavers, dig the trench, and then put the conduit in, and we're off and going. PG&E's first error in their contract assumed that I had concrete and that the concrete would have to be broken up and replaced. So their original estimate was way over because even though they'd been to the site and they'd seen the driveway, their computer didn't see it. It's amazing to me. You mentioned that price that they estimated of $7,000, and gee, that sounds like a lot of money. I've never gotten an estimate from an electrician in PG&E for just doing the PG&E side for less than like fifteen or $20,000. It's well, commonly like, I mean, there was one that I just had recently, $45,000 for the upgrading the meter, upgrading the panel, and then running the wire, and it was underground. It's, so it's insane. Well, it's a pretty flat driveway. It's 35 feet. It was a very straightforward install. So it's really, I think your, you know, your site may vary, I think might be the rule of thumb for customers. But I think what's really important is... If your contractor is getting one of those estimates, you might want to contact PG&E and get a breakdown of those costs because I found many. So the first recommendation is whatever PG&E says for the work they have to do, you have to dig into that and, and find a way to cut that in half or less. No pun intended when you're talking about trenching, but yeah, definitely dig into it because they gave me a flat number and I asked for the breakdown. And it was when they did the breakdown that I learned about all kinds of things like, for instance, with the trench, PG&E wanted to charge me a $1,000 inspect the trench fee. Now, I think that's a little bit high. $1,000 to drive by my house. I mean, it took him 30 seconds to get out of the truck and get back in the truck and see that the trench was 30 inches deep. I mean, it was pretty shameful. I mean, we do we do uh, ground mount installations all the time, and we always have to have the pipe inspected by San Jose or the local jurisdiction, and it's just like lumped into the $250 permit fee. It's nothing. The utility side. I know, but it doesn't cost the city that much. Oh, and yours is a city utility. See, they're all different, yeah, so yeah. I would look into this. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting is, the, I don't know if your city did this, but there was a 24% tax on the work that they were to perform. So if you had the inflated cost and the 24% tax on top of that, it even got bigger. No, that tax goes to the executives at the utility to pay for their bonuses. That's kind of what that is. <laughs> I don't think so. It's called, it's an income tax cost contribution tax. And in my case, it was 24% of the cost. Wow. So if that cost estimate was high, it really added to the cost. Right, so the takeaway for this is we really have to kind of drill down and make sure that, A, you find an electrician that you can work with that's available, and B, you got to pound on the utility to look at what their costs are. Now, how long did this process take? Well, this was about five months, and one of the things that was really interesting was they thought it would take longer. PG&E thought it would take longer. But part of what stalled it a little bit was that when I had found a program that the California Public Utilities Commission allows where the the cost for 
putting in an EV charger would be covered by the utility. So when you do a residential service upgrade, there's a $2,000 cost allowance. The cost above 2000 would be covered if you're putting in an EV charger, which at the time I was doing. So, so just kind of thinking back, somebody at the PUC or the utility said, gee, we want to basically make it less expensive for people to put it in an EV, which we all want to do because it's better for the environment. And somehow PG&E managed to continue to charge people for that, even though they didn't really have to. So it's just extra money for them. Yeah, I guess it's kind of, it's not really extra money because it's paid for by the ratepayers, but it is definitely the cost would get covered in that whatever their market is. Well, it would is. get covered, but they were going to charge you even though there was that provision. Right. Well, in fact, the electric vehicle department, uh, the, the people in the building department at PG&E were unaware of the electric vehicle program, and so I ended up introducing them to each other. So basically, the PUC and the state have a sale price on EV chargers that the utilities should honor, but they don't tell you about it, so you pay full price. And in all honesty, they didn't know about it. Still. <laughs> Well, but somebody that, knew again, about that's, it. Yes, yeah. true enough, true enough. But I think that the, the, the thing that's interesting, though, is that if PG&E had just covered it, the $7,000, I would never have known that that was an error in the cost. So this is kind of a funny blessing, because not only was I able to reduce the cost and save ratepayers, I did get a little bit of an allowance that covered yeah. the over overage. So it was great. So when we start talking about whole house electrification, obviously, we're upgrading the panel. Why do we have to upgrade the panel? Let's just kind of take a step back to solar. And this is something that we encounter all the time with our customers, is that there's a national electric code rule. It's very complicated. But the rule basically says that you can only put in a solar system that's equal to 20% of the capacity of your electric panel. So if you have a 100 amp electric panel, you can only put in 20 amps of solar, which is a 3.8 kilowatt inverter, and that's not too much. So so that's kind of, has in the solar industry, kicked off a lot of these upgrades. But then, boom, you run into this, in your case, $7,000, which is uh, which is like less than half the normal cost, but you know more like 10 or 15 for people to run new wire from the street. That's really, right. really tricky. Yeah. Well, I tell you, the interesting thing to me about this is that um, if you... It, Homeowners really need to get more involved in understanding this process because they might go to the contractor and say, hey, the reason this isn't going well is because you don't know what you're doing. Well, that's not necessarily the case. It might be that the utility is not informing them on what is going on or the utility is delaying. And and the contractor, in a sense, is a victim and the homeowner doesn't know this. So the more that the homeowner can partner with the contractor and work with PG&E directly, the better it's going to come out. Yeah. Because the homeowner needs to have that box bigger in order to do what I think is really important is address our climate change goals. Yeah. Okay, so now we kind of are really digging into the issues of whole house electrification. And, and obviously you need a bigger electrical service and you need solar. So how does all that work together? First, tell me what some of the other things that you're going to do in your house, and then let's talk about how the state can make this whole process easier. Great. So I added the electric vehicle charger, and then I have a gas stove and oven, then I'm going to switch that over to induction and get that done. Then I will probably put in an electric heat pump as soon as the current gas water heater goes out. I happen to have a steam shower in my house, so that uses a little bit of my service panel. And then I'm going to add more solar to my existing system that I have on my house. Those are my near-term goals. And we talked about adding more solar, so this is just you know my little way of saving people money. But any work that's done on your house that is part of the solar work is eligible for the 30% tax credit. So you're 
piddling $3,000 for that whole electrical upgrade, <laughs> which would have cost somebody in Silicon Valley more like $15,000, you're going to get $1,000 off because you're going to add a little bit more solar to your system and get that tax credit. Barry, benefit. that's a huge tip, but I think more than that, it's also the sizing information that you gave. I did not know about that sizing issue on the panel, and so now I feel even more happy that I put in a larger panel because now I know I can add solar and it won't be a problem. On that 200-amp panel, you can put up to a 40-amp inverter, which is going to give you the ability to put in 10 to 12,000 kilowatts of solar, normally a 7,600-watt inverter. That's an enormous plus to know that I I have that peace of mind. Thank you, Barry. And that's a lot of juice. I mean, that's pretty much, if your house is fairly well insulated, that's, you know, 10,000 watts of solar is going to be enough to do pretty much everything you want to do, which is good. Okay. So now, what can the state do? How should we change some of these processes? Or or where are the holdups for electrification? So, Barry, as you mentioned, I've got a long experience in the solar industry and and in public policy. And so I asked a bunch of my friend contractors from around the state if they were having similar problems in their utility service areas. And they said, absolutely. They're just as bad in terms of the timing issues, just as bad in terms of the lack of transparency over costs. And so that led me to believe that the solution here is going to be a statewide policy issue. And I think that what needs to happen is either the governor's office or the PUC, the California Public Utility Commission, needs to sit down and start looking at the process for doing whole house or service upgrades to enable electrification of homes. If we don't have that process working right, then say an example where the best time to put in an electric heat pump for my heating would be when my furnace goes out. Okay. Well, if the PG&E or your local utility says, no problem, ma'am, we'll be done in six months, well... Your home's not going to have any heating or air conditioning for six months. That's clearly not workable. So to me, that's where the state needs to step in. Whatever agency or the governor's office needs to step up and say, let's make this process work so that it's easy for people who own homes to change over and help with our policy initiatives, specifically climate change and renewable energy. So that, to me, is a big thing that can be solved pretty easily if somebody would do it. And it's the same problem with a domestic hot water heater. I mean, you're, you're, you see a puddle in your garage and you say, gee, it's time for the new hot water water heater and you say, all right, well, I'm going to get an electric one, electric heat pump. It requires 40 amps of electricity. And then you find out, gee, that you can't do that. So you're going to put in another gas heater and then you're going to forget about it for another 13 years. I'm telling you, it's a huge missed opportunity because if you say to me that I have to wait six months to have hot water, I'm not going to do it. So this is an enormous miss on the state policy if we don't get this straightened out. Yeah, I'd say it's an enormous miss, but it's an opportunity for us to fix it. We're becoming aware of the need for this because we've got farsighted people like you and others who are really trying to do this whole house electrification and cut back on those greenhouse gas emissions. Well, and you start thinking about things like, okay, now you've done your electric stove and you've done your electric water heater heat pump, you've done your your heat pump heating and air. Now maybe you want to add energy storage. Well. Back to your service panel. Yeah. Is your service panel going to have enough capacity to add in a battery storage systems? And that's where you see that little service panel is really a key to, to accomplishing the mission. Right. And then there's kind of two parts to this. So the first most important thing is if you have 100 or 125 amp service panel, you're not going to be able to electrify your house. You just, it's just not going to work. So you need to have at least a 200 amp panel. And that's going to require, in most cases, running new wire from the street, and that's a 6- to 12-month process. And, I mean, heck, fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 if you got to dig up the street. And the and- kids could be out of the home by then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting is that I found that this was an opportunity for me to do a, a real whole house safety check when I did that service panel. I got brand new circuit breakers and 
my house, which did not have grounding, whole house grounding, now has whole house grounding. And you're the electrician. You can probably explain what that means. But essentially, it means my house is safer and runs better. Yeah, I'm the electrician. And the electrician is part of getting this upgrade done for my house, which I just literally finished last week. It still hasn't been, that stucco isn't finished on the outside of the house. But for me to upgrade just my meter... And also upgrade the inside uh, circuit breaker panel. That cost me $7,000. I think I kind of got a deal on it because I helped. Wow. I did some of the work, but that's that was cheap. And as far as running new wire to the street, the guy from PG&E said, forget about it. He can't even figure out how to do that. But luckily, I had enough wire. In the course of replacing my circuit breaker panel, we found three circuits that were basically broken. One was kind of off and occasionally arcing. The one in the kitchen was tw- a 20-amp circuit breaker, but it never broke. In other words, I could run my microwave, I can run my coffee maker, I can run my coffee grinder, and it was just like not tripping. So when they got the new service panel in, I said, gee, I can't run these two things at once. They said, yeah, because you're drawing more than 20 amps. And then the circuit breaker for the air conditioner was also not working. So Barry, when you say occasionally arcing or not working, you're really talking about a huge fire hazard. This is a possibility that this life and safety. So when you're thinking about that service panel, you should be thinking, I'm grateful I'm doing this. I know it costs a bunch of money, but I'm going to say somebody's life and well, that's important yeah yeah well i mean i this was an old zinsco panel it was 45 almost 50 years old and those those things are bad now also in the course of doing this my my electrician's looking for where the grounding wire is and the grounding wire was running to an old galvanized pipe in the house the problem is that they had replaced all the galvanized piping with copper piping in the house about two years ago so there was no longer a ground for the house. Wow. So there's all these things that you kind of learn, and it's good to have a qualified electrician to go in and upgrade that old panel. If it's 30, 40 years old, don't mess with it. Well, you think about it, 30 or 40 years, some, you need some maintenance after 30 or 40 years. So this, this, is a, this is an investment in safety, and you should do it. And I really I worship the electricians that are so competent and capable and take care of it. And boy, it's painfully expensive to do this work, but it's dangerous, and it requires a high-level skill. I mean, I'm a C10 electrician. When my company does work on people's homes, we subcontract out this kind of electrical upgrade work because it's just not our expertise. Our guys are great on the roof and on ladders and keeping out leaks, but as far as wiring up the voltage from the house and from the street, we, we don't mess with that. You're not only smart, but you'll grow old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll grow old without, you know, without glowing. So All your good. fingers. <laughs> so what would be, what are your suggestions for the state? How should the state kind of proceed at this point? Where are the holdups and what can we do? Well, I think the state should facilitate a group meeting of the major utilities in the state and the municipal utilities, the local public utilities, and sit down and talk about a review of the process, what are the steps, the timing, and identify what needs to be done in order to make this a 30-day, not cost-prohibitive process. This should not take six to nine months. This is like, in fact, I remember when they told me it would take nine months, and I said, I could have a baby. I mean, this is ridiculous. So we need to figure out how to shorten this up so it's a reasonable time frame, kind of like what we did with the solar industry on permitting or net metering connections. Remember, we we actually enacted a law that said it could take no more than 30 business days. Maybe we should be doing the same thing with electrical service upgrades. Now, as a result of that, the average time to get a system interconnected. It's all online. You might have heard me talk negatively about PG&E. Yeah. And sometimes I'm going to tell you, PG&E is a fantastic utility when it comes to doing interconnections for residential systems. It's typically like three business days. It's all online. It's automated. It's great. And there's no safety issues. I completely agree with you, Barry. There's a lot of talent at PG&E, and we should be really making sure that they know that we appreciate them. There's a lot of problems that they have to deal with. I know that. But uh, the people inside the building are pretty cool. 
So let's follow the money. Like, why does it cost so much? Why does it take so long? Who's collecting extra money for this, or is it just bureaucratic incompetence? Well, I think it's not incompetence as much as no attention on the process, but I think that the, one of the cost issues is when you start the process, PG&E has to do a design and update their maps, right? Remember when we mm-hmm. had some yeah, of the terrible terrible. Accidents we've had in, in the history of of some of the utilities they've had they, we've found out they don't have maps and so some of what the cost is is having them rebuild their old maps and I, I respect that I don't have any problem mm-hmm. with that and then they have to check and see what is the existing service that you have if you you know I could, they could have come out and said oh no service upgrade needed because everything's fine well they had to send somebody out to find out what we had and so that's part of the cost process is first determining doing that site assessment thing you know it's interesting for my house when the PG&E representative came to hook up my new meter and only the same old smart meter, but he just plugged it in and plugged the wires back into the new panel. Yeah, I was talking to him. I said, well, what about the underground wiring? Where's that going? He said, we don't have any records in this neighborhood. Your wire doesn't look like it's the right size, but I understand that it was okay. So they have no records. But I'm thinking they, they should have the records. They should do something because... Who's selling me electricity? It's the utility. If I put in an EV charger, if I put in a heat pump heater, they're going to sell me a lot more electricity. There's economic benefits to do that. There's a safety issue here. And I can tell you that I actually had some interesting things happen with not the site manager, but one of the other site people that came by said PG&E did not need to get an encroachment permit. The people at PG&E who did the design said, absolutely, we have to get an encroachment permit. What's an encroachment permit? So the service panel is connected to the distribution system. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping you can visualize this. And so there's like a donut-shaped concrete box in the ground near the street. Okay. That concrete box is actually located in my neighbor's driveway. Ah, okay. So there's an encroachment onto another so piece right of property. Right. right. And so I need to get a permit for that. But but I can tell you that one person from PG&E said, I do not need that. And another person from PG&E said, we absolutely do, and they actually got one. How can we make whole house electrification with upgrading people's services, putting in EV chargers, putting in heat pumps, putting in solar? How quickly can this get done at the state? Can Governor Newsom do this in his first term? Governor Newsom could do this, too, could start this tomorrow. And I think that if you had a team put together and said, we're going to do this, I think it could be done in 90 days. I'm talking calendar days. And on the outside, six months. This is a matter of sitting down looking at the process and saying, what are the things we can do to streamline it? This is a conversation. And then go back to the PUC, have them update the general rules over at the PUC, and then, ta-da, we're done. Right. This is not a lifetime project, but I can tell you right now, we're not going to start it unless we start it. All right. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Sue, for joining us. Thank thanks you, Barry. This <laughs> <laughs> is great. It's kind of it cool fun. to see you again. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.